Welcome to the Augusta Golf Show podcast. Now, here's John Patrick. Colt Nost is the co-host of Gravy in the Sleaze on the PGA Tour Network on Sirius XM Radio. Also the co-host of the Subpar Podcast um, and walks the fairways for CBS and their golf coverage. Going to be in Panama next week for the Latin American Amateur Championship. It is always a pleasure to welcome Colt Nost back to the Augusta Golf Show. How are you, Colt? I'm good, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, I've never asked you this. Did your parents look into the crib and call you Colt? Is that your given name? That's it. Okay. Just Colt. Everybody thinks it's Colton, but no, just Colt. Colton. Um, what'd you do for the holidays? Um, I was around in Scottsdale playing some golf, and then for Christmas, I had to go to the wife's place in El Paso, <laughs> see her family, which was rather cold, yeah. but still a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Uh, watched a lot of football. Uh-huh. But yeah, I've been back in Scottsdale just enjoying some downtime, actually getting to play a lot of golf, which is nice, and getting ready to go. For the 2024 season. Will the um, uh, Christmas visit to the uh, wife's, to your in-laws, be the uh, annual event now? We shall see. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was very happy to go, let's just say that. Uh, <laughs> point taken. Um, you like, you enjoy doing the Latin American Amateur and, and the Pacific Asian Pacific Amateur, don't you? I do. It's, it's fun. You know, obviously get to go to some incredible places, but then just the event that Augusta National, the RNA, and the USGA put on at those two events, it's just incredible. It's one of the most well-run events I've ever attended. And to meet these kids that are just so grateful to be there, obviously there's there's some that have a chance to win and you know punch that ticket to the Masters, the U.S. Open, or the Open Championship. But just to see how grateful some of the young kids are and, and the places they come from. I mean, you know, when I, when I do the Asia Pacific, there's, there's some kids that the only time they play on grass is that championship, which I think is just – remarkable and then the latin am you know the field just continues to get better uh grow stronger and we've, we've seen some great players come out of both of them i assume the asian field is deeper yes 100 percent. yeah i and i i never got the chance to ask uh chairman Payne this but he must have taken so much pride in hideki winning the asian pacific and then winning the masters i i would definitely think so i mean it's a pretty remarkable story for hideki to win the asian pacific twice and then become a Masters champion. I think it just—I think that's one of the one of the many reasons we've seen the game of golf in Asia grow so much over the years. He's a huge part of that. But even the Latinam, I mean, it continues to grow. Like I said, get better. I and mean, we've had great champions. Joaquin Neiman, you know, won the Latinam. Um, there's some great players that have come out of there. Fred Biondi's a young kid that just turned pro out of Florida. Yeah, um, was a staple at that event. Uh, so there's a lot of good players at both of them. Do you get a sense, Colt, that? at the Asian Pacific Amateur, that there could be the sort of, you know, the way the Asian players have uh, have made it onto the LPGA Tour. Could that sort of thing happen in male professional golf? I think you're definitely trending that way. Um, I don't think it's ever going to be as big as it is in the women's game. But, I mean, look at the players. I mean, you've got Siwoo Kim, KH Lee, Tom Kim, um, so many great players. I'm, I'm definitely forgetting Sung sure. J.M. Um, there's so many good ones right now in the game of professional golf. Um, it's going that way. I mean, I, I kind of joke with the President's Cup. I mean, I, you could see a team, you know, full of people from Asia on the on the President's Cup team here in a few years, the way it's going. There's that many strong players out of there. Speaking of strong amateur players, and I, and, and I mean this to be a serious question. It, it's easy to fluff off. How would your, at the height of your amateur game, how would your game fare against these kids today? Uh, that's tough. I just think the game's changed so much. 
you know, I mean, it's all about distance now. And obviously I was one of the shorter guys, but the thing that benefited me in amateur golf is, you know, all the big events for the most part were played up in the Northeast at old school, traditional golf courses. You know, there was a lot of dog legs. It was a premium on hitting the fairway. And so I thrived in those conditions. You, know, you put me at the same spot as a Dustin Johnson or someone that hits it far. Like I can compete from there. Um, you know, but they didn't have the, they didn't have the opportunity to push driver as much as they probably wanted to. So, you know, that's why I think I did so well in amateur amateur golf. I, th- I mean, I think I had a lot of game. There's no doubt about that. But the game has changed so much, especially in the professional ranks, where it's now you just absolutely send it down there as far as you can, go find it, and then knock it on the green. Um, you know, I'm I have mixed emotions about that. Obviously, I, I know watching guys hit it far is very entertaining, but I still think there's something really cool about you know the artists um, in in golf. You look at Justin Leonard, Corey Pavin, those guys. Like those guys wouldn't if they if they were turning pro now, they would have zero chance. And that's just that's sad in my opinion. Well, that leads me to the question of the rollback. How do you feel about the rollback? I've never been for bifurcation. Like I, I think it's so cool that the game of golf. I mean, the average guy can go if he wants to pay the money to play Pebble Beach, play with the same clubs as Rory McIlroy, same golf ball. He can go do that. Um, I, I don't like making a ball for the professionals and a ball for the rest of the world. I don't know exactly, you know, looking at the numbers, I don't think the rollback, it's not really going to change anything. I mean, you know, six, seven, eight yards here or there, not that big of a deal. Uh, I think they lost control of this thing a long time ago. I mean, everybody talks about the ball. I mean, just look at how big the driver is now. Mm-hmm. I know Adam Scott went on, I believe, Smiley Kaufman's podcast, and he said something that I think is just, this was perfect. He's like, you know, the, the driver used to be the hardest club in the bag to hit. And when you hit it well, you got rewarded. Now, when anyone's nervous or they got a big shot, they're wanting to hit driver because it's the easiest club to hit. And I think that's where they lost the control is the driver head is just entirely too big. Yes, the ball goes too far, but I think they this should have been handled, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Do you think you, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube? I don't think so. It's too, I mean, just... I mean, I think equipment manufacturers would have a fit. I mean, think of all the time, money, research they've done to, you know, make the driver bigger, make it easier to hit, make it faster. And then they're going to come back and say, hey, uh, go actually go the other way now. That's uh, I don't think they would like that too much. We're talking with Colt Nost here on the Augusta Golf Show. Uh, We'll get to the 24 season, but let me back up a couple of months. What was your visceral reaction on the John Rahm news? You know, I have, a, I have a really good relationship with John. We live very close to each other here in Scottsdale. Um, we talk a lot. He's been great coming on all of our shows. Um, you know, he came on our subpar podcast the week after he won the Masters wearing the green jacket, which was unreal. <laughs> um, so we talk a lot, and I was honestly shocked. You know, I you hear the rumblings, um, and in social media nowadays, there's so much stuff thrown out there that ends up not being true. But, yeah, I was a little shocked, but I guess when you get to – the amount of money they say he got, I get it. I, you know, I, I don't blame a man for turning down three, four, five hundred million dollars. It's just that's just crazy money that I don't think any of us ever thought would be offered uh, to a professional golfer. Do you do you think Colt there was some strategy involved in that? He did it, banking on the fact that there's going to be an agreement. In my opinion, yes, because you know he's exempt. For the next five years to the PGA Championship, the Open Championship, obviously, the Masters, a lifetime invitation or until whatever age they cut him off. 
And then the U.S. Open, which he won in 2021, he's got 10 years from there. Mm-hmm. So he's in the he's in the majors for a long time. He's the third-ranked player in the world, so he's not going to fall out of the top 50 anytime soon. I definitely think there was some strategy behind this thinking, okay, we're, they're going to come to an agreement. We're all going to be together in maybe a couple of years. Why not take this ridiculous amount of money now, and then I'll be back and um, sooner and, than later. And in the meantime, I'm still playing in the majors. Yes, which is what you know. All the top guys—that's what they really, really care about. Do you think? Do you think another big name player gets poached before the Masters? I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the money they throw around—it's just like I said earlier—it's ridiculous. I mean, it makes no sense to me the amount of money they're doing it. I mean, I get it; they want to see it at the table, but these numbers are just unrealistic. I mean, they're they're up there with you know the NFL, the NBA, and the the game of golf is just not that. That's what frustrates me so much with all this is they want to compare this. They're like, oh, well, they're not getting Aaron Rodgers money. They're not getting Tom Brady money, LeBron James money. I'm like, well, it's because golf is not that. Like, golf is in a really good spot right now. They make a lot of money considering, you know, what their TV ratings are and stuff that comes with that. So will another guy go? I wouldn't be surprised. Do you think, Colt, that this, again, back to strategy, is this strategy on the on the Saudis part, on the PIF part, to to kind of, you know, make sure the PGA Tour is still paying attention to the negotiations? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, I think the way this has been handled, I, I'm guessing if the PGA Tour could go back and do it all over again, they would have would have met with them a lot sooner. So none of this would have happened. But yeah, they're definitely making a statement saying, "Hey, we're not going anywhere. Like if you if you want to make this deal, we're here to do it. Otherwise, we're going to keep taking your players and eventually, if it's up to them, more of the top players will be playing over on Live than they will on the PGA Tour, which you know, the, the game of golf is not big enough to be divided. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't that's that's the other thing. I mean, the NFL, you create another league, there's there's billions of fans. In in the game of golf, there's not. I mean, the average NFL Sunday game has more people viewing than the biggest golf tournament of all time. And I think that's where we need to sit back and look at like we can't afford to have fans divided over two leagues. Um, we all need to come together and everyone needs to, the best players in the world need to be playing against each other as often as possible. More than four times a year. Speaking of the best player in the world, who got more out of the deal, Tiger or Nike? Huh, we talked about that yesterday. That's a great question. Um, they both did very well. Let's just say that. <laughs> I mean, uh, the amount of money they made for each other is fantastic. Um, Tiger, you know, he's the his twenty seven year deal worth around five hundred million or whatever it was, and then you know, there's no telling in the contracts so that he got part of merch sales and stuff like that apparel. So both sides came out very well at the end of the day. It's going to be shocking though to see him. You know, whenever we see him play again on Sunday wearing a red and black shirt that doesn't have a Nike swoosh on it. Do, do, I mean, now we're digging into the weeds, and I apologize for some of this. Does he does he form a clothing company, or does he sign on with somebody? Um, I've heard rumors that there will be something created from current company. Okay. What would you think of uh, uh, Jason Day's wardrobe? <laughs> it's a different look. But, hey, I mean, look, fashion is weird nowadays. Let's just say that at the <laughs> The uh, the blue shirt and khaki pants is kind of out the window. I mean, when you look at Hollywood and what these people are wearing, and then you know they're trying to 
kind of move into the world of golf. And it's it's a different look. I thought he looked fine. Uh, it's crazy how much attention it got. But hey, uh, you know they 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 could pay me what if they paid me a certain amount of money. I'd wear whatever they wanted me to. Uh, okay, well, since we're since we're talking about people, and it is what you do, how do you think how do you think Kiz did? I thought he was good. He was he was he was Kiz. You know, he sat back, seemed relaxed, and just talked golf. Um, you know, it was his first ever time doing TV, so it's hard to be like critical. He didn't freeze up or anything like that. You know, he was he threw some jokes in there, told some great stories. I thought what he talked about Scotty Scheffler and his putting, what he thought he could do to kind of fix his putting was great. Um, yeah, I think I think this is what we need in the game of golf. We need younger. We need people that are, you know, I hate to say inside the ropes, but people have a relationship with the best players in the world out there that can talk about it, share stories, share some inside information, as long as it's okay with the players. But just bring a different perspective. This whole thing about having to be have a certain resume and be a major champion to be in the 18th Tower, I, I don't believe in. As long as you know golf, you can talk golf, and you entertain me, I'm here for it. Was there a spit jar next to Dan Hicks's leg? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> um, uh, okay, let's. As someone who has been around the game as long as you have, doing what you've done, you know, I, I, I think I understand. They don't come around often. I think I understand the phenom, the uh, Ludwig Oberg, and and those people. But explain Eric Cole to me. Explain how you find it in your early 30s. Well, I mean, it's not the first time we've seen this. I mean, you go back to Matt Kuchar. Matt Kuchar was the same way. I mean, except he had the decorated amateur career, but right. he came out and he struggled. And then all of a sudden he made a name for himself in his 30s. But it's just, it's so cool to see. I mean, to not give up. I mean, golf's expensive. When you're playing the mini tours, I was fortunate enough not to have to go that route. But just talking to friends, I mean, it's expensive. You're talking 1000 to $1,500 entry fees week in and week out. You know, driving most of the time all around the country to play these events, trying to Monday qualify here and there. It's a grind. And for him to keep going as long as he did, like I just tip my cap to him. It's awesome. And everyone that has known him for so long says how great of a player he is. And I guess the world finally got to see it this past year. It's, it's special. I mean, I think he played 37 events total. Between, through with the wraparound and everything, and then on his weeks off, he would go play mini tour events, which yeah. is just shows you how much he loves the game. But it's such a great story. It, does success out there really breed more success? Yeah, I think I think for a guy like that, you know, you always question whether or not you're good enough to play at the highest level with those guys. And then you get out there and you start having success, and it keeps going. And then all of a sudden, you're like, wow, okay. I can do this. This is how I play the game, and it's good enough to compete with the best in the world. So I 100% absolutely agree that it does. A uh, couple of things before I let you go. Does um, does Rory win a major? I think he does this year. I picked him to win the PGA Championship at Valhalla, which was the side of his last major championship. How important is it that he has divorced himself from all the extracurricular activities? And he seems now, you know, I'm a golfer and I'm going to concentrate on golf. Yeah, that's something, you know, I don't feel like the guys that are on the board get enough credit for how much time, effort, and energy it takes away from them. I mean, these phone calls, especially with everything that's going on, you know, five years ago, it wasn't 
near this difficult or, you know, these conversations weren't near this long. But, I mean, these phone calls, five, six, seven hours, multiple times a week, I can't imagine having to deal with that. And, you know, giving your opinion, sticking up for one side, trying to get this deal done, and then, oh, by the way, i got to go out and practice so I can try to beat the best players in the world, some of who that don't have to deal with it. I'm sure it's a huge weight off his shoulders being off that board. I know he wants what's best for the game of golf and was doing whatever he could to help the PGA Tour out. But I have to think this is going to be a monster year for Rory, knowing that he doesn't have to answer any of those questions anymore. He doesn't have to get on those phone calls. He can go out, practice when he wants to, show up at the events he wants to, and he's probably going to play extremely well. And and should he do all of that? He's contributing to the betterment of the game of golf. Oh, yeah. I mean, Rory is great for the game of golf. I mean, he's one of the biggest stars we have, and I think it's – like you said, I think it's best when he's playing well, and I mean, it would be great for him to win a major this year. Uh, do you think Tiger's going to be able to to pull off one a month? You know, we had Justin Thomas um, on our on our pod this week. Came out today, and you know, he said, like many of us, he's learned to not doubt Tiger Woods. <laughs> I mean, whenever you say the guy can't do something, he goes out and does it. So yeah, I, I honestly think I think we'll see him p- probably play with, with the four majors. I wouldn't be surprised to see him play eight to ten events. Really? Really? Okay. I'm hoping. <laughs> well, I get it. Um, yeah. And, you know, you talk about what JT said. It is one of my all-time favorite lines that I guess just came out, what was it, years ago when David Duvall was talking about, you know, these young kids wish they had a crack at Tiger in his prime. And all David says, what the hell you do? <laughs> no, you do not. Yeah. It is. Um, I mean, he's so good still. And, you know, he's a tenth of what he was. But it was, yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of on the back end. You know, I got on tour in 2008 and just watching him hit balls and go up, play play rounds of golf and just the way he dissected golf courses. It was just absurd. He was so much better than everyone else. Is there something you guys talk about that you wish was on television coverage that isn't? I do. I've always thought, and, you know, I've always been a huge fan of the cut. I hate these events where it's, you know, limited field, no cuts. The the grind to make the cut Friday afternoon, I think, is great television. Like, I would rather see a guy who has has to birdie the last or par the last to make a cut or something dramatic than seeing a superstar that's in 38th place that's going to limp into the weekend. Like, that's just, I mean, I love a, I would love a cut cam just watching because it, it means so much to these guys, and I think you see it. I mean, probably the only time you see a fist pump on Friday is a guy making a putt on the last to play the weekend because he knows he gets a check. He knows he gets FedEx Cup points, and he has a chance to go win the golf tournament if he gets hot on the weekend. He is Colt Nost, and he's doing just about everything from Sirius XM Radio to his podcast next week in Panama with CBS right around the corner. And I always appreciate you taking the time to do this, Colt. Uh, I know how, how busy you are. Thank you for doing this, and we will talk again at some point. You got it. Thank you so much. I'll see you in April.